0: Cooking no two days are the same like it's what arrives that day is different to the day before and I just have such energy for trying to make that the best I can and and you know, do the best by the ingredients it's just it um, suits my energy levels and lack of um, attention sometimes perfectly <laughs> like it just suits my my need for for change and for um, innovation.
1: This is the crackling i'm anthony huckstep the transient nature of the hospitality industry means many workers drop in and out dabble with other vocations and start families after years out of the hospitality game to raise a young family karina armstrong found herself cooking more and more extravagant meals at home before she realized she missed the connection and joy of working in the hospitality sector when an offer to run her own restaurant popped up. It was too good to refuse. Karina, you've had the restaurant for eight years now and it's known as one of South Australia's very best. And it's a place where guests feel relaxed and comfortable and and kind of eat in their own way.
0: Um, yeah, very much so. I think hospitality in its essence is, is delivering to an extent what people require in that moment Um, we still very much stick to our our guns on a few things but that idea of someone walking in the door and they might want a long lunch, they might just want a snack, they might want a business lunch, they might want a romantic lunch or they might just want to eat by themselves. So um, Salopian's always been really geared towards working out what people want very quickly um, and then making a really good attempt at delivering that and to me that's what hospitality is, is, is measuring up your guest and and trying to deliver whilst sticking to your own ethics along the way.
1: Regional dining has really come to the fore over the last decade in Australia. What's your sense about regional dining and what your obligation is to um, where you're situated in McLaren Vale?
0: I think I have a huge obligation to community, um, to where I am positioned like physically. Um, so McLaren Vale is absolutely a beautiful place to have a restaurant and um, we're surrounded by great wineries and relationships with wine producers, gin producers and brewers now as well is really important. Um, But also for me, I'm a really producer-driven cook. Um, I love knowing the farmers that produce my food. Um, We have a go at producing some of our own. Um, So in a regional sense, the connection to people producers is it's phenomenal and it's so refreshing and it's probably given me I think some longevity with the with the cooking game because I, I, I love it there's always something different you're always meeting new people um, and looking at what they're doing creatively in a regional space and I think you know, I, I started my apprenticeship in um, regional Victoria and You know regional at that stage was sort of as almost the ugly duckling like you weren't as good as the city and I think you know obviously the lake house and places like Bray have really just lifted the game there's many around Australia of course that you know people know but that idea of going to the region to eat now is is um it's a whole experience you're getting and I think that's what's making regional dining
1: boom. Well, and there's also that wonderful connection with producers, as you alluded to, that you get in the country that you can't really get when you're in the city. And you just uh, also said that you have a go at producing some things. Can you tell us a bit about that?
0: Um, so I have a garden. It's actually at my house. It's not at the restaurant. I wish it was <laughs> at the restaurant. That is, that is in the 10-year plan. Um, but it's at my home. So I, um, my husband and I live with our three children. On It's about two and a half acres And seven years ago, I just said, just that little bit of dirt, I'm just going to start growing a few things. So there were things I wanted that I couldn't get. So my mother is an amazing gardener. So I had a bit of an idea. Um, And so we planted, we had a girl working for us, Maddie, um, who was doing horticulture at the time, and she was um, working on the floor as well. So it was a great connection through to the customers so we just started with a little bit of land, which is now a very large piece of land. <laughs> it's grown, it's taken over and it's become a serious production working garden. And it's really, I always say it's the soul of Salopin because it's it's what drives us. It's really what drives me because I keep looking for ways to use everything and to learn about new varieties and sustainable growing and um, integration between a restaurant and a garden, which is a really interesting philosophy in itself because you're looking at composting, you're looking at um, gluts of um, anything. Anyone who gardens knows, you know, that you suddenly get too much of something (laughs) Um, and then you need to deal with it. So what it has done for me as a cook is amazing. I think what it's done for the restaurant has made us a very nimble restaurant. Our menu changes two to three times a week. Um, and for the cooks that come to us and the apprentices that, that train with us, they also understand where food comes from and how to grow it. And I think that is something quite unique. Um, and they, I find their palate changes over the time they come to us and they have a new appreciation for something being really fresh, like out of the ground fresh.
1: That real hands in the soil experience that you've had growing uh, vegetables has it given you a different connection and understanding of producers that you deal with
0: oh just you know it's um it's such hard work anyone that gardens or grows something understands how hard it is and how emotionally involved you can get so I had the most perfect row of artichokes all lined up I was watching them all come along in springtime obviously I had a dish in my mind very simple but it was going to be our artichokes they were going to be on for four to five days and uh, springtime hailstorm came through and wiped them all out and that's just artichokes you know you're not talking about if something happens with your cattle or if something happens with your chickens Um, I've always the farmers I know and love to spend time with have a profound connection to the animals or to what they grow and, you know, I think you can taste that sort of um, craftsmanship and workmanship and care in anything that I grow or I buy from a, a, a proper farmer, like, a you know, a regenerative, really hands-on caring farmer.
1: The Salopian Inn is renowned right across Australia and you alluded to starting your apprenticeship uh, with Wolf Tasker at Dalesford. It's a lake house. Um, Take us back to that time. What what led you to a career in hospitality?
0: Um, I dropped out of uni. Um, it's a fairly regular story. I was doing science at uni. Um, I couldn't sit still. I didn't want to sit in lectures. I liked the tavern too much um, <laughs> and just knew that it wasn't for me and I went travelling. I actually ended up in Hobart. I'm originally from the McLaren Vale region in South Australia, but I ended up in Hobart started working at the big hotel that at that time was the Sheraton. Um, and it was really enjoying it. I loved being part of the village that is hospitality. I'd instantly found a real connection to the chaos of it all um, and the energy of it all. I've always had quite a bit of energy. Um, and long story short, that hotel got sold. I got moved to Melbourne. Uh, I was moving, uh, working at the Sheraton in Melbourne. And I went to a special event and met this lady who had a restaurant in the country um, and her name was Ulla and she said, you should come and work for me. And um, she was right. (laughs) So I went as a um, just second year, I think, um, quite early in my apprenticeship and stayed for quite a while. Um, And really with my experiences now of having my own restaurant, I realised how um, foundational that training was and how much I learnt but I probably wasn't aware of at the time, um, just in being in that culture of regional food um, and, you know, great produce, true seasonality, um, and just learning how to work very hard.
1: Well, you are back in McLaren Vale now, but you did spend a lot of your career in some of Australia's best restaurants. What's some of the really important moments in your career um, in that time when you were in Melbourne and Sydney?
0: Oh, wow. Um, That's a great question. Um, I worked for um, Karen Martini um, when she had the wine room um, and that was a really good uh, training in flavours, bold food and moved into like a different style of food after Lake House and it was great training to learn how to balance flavours. Karen's an amazing cook, super creative um, and it was, you know, a a good fun city restaurant after being in the country for a while, um, and then I helped open Icebergs as well. Um, I came in late into the sort of the opening, but was there pre-opening, and that was an amazing experience because I had worked for Morris was an owner in the wine room when I was there, but I'd never got to work with him. Um, and working with him and watching a you know an amazing big restaurant open that is I think still iconic in Australia today, very much so. Um, It was a real eye-opener in, you know, how grand and how amazing and how to think big. Morris has the most amazing ability to just think larger than life. And so for me, it really opened my mind to what perhaps was possible for me um, at some point. And um, I also got to work for Kylie Kwong when she was still on Crown Street in Surrey Hills, um, at the original Billy Quong, and that was that kitchen. At that time, was it's one of those moments. Again, you don't realise where you're there, but um, uh, Otama Carey was there, Hamish and was there, um, and we all just cooked together. Um, and Kylie is an amazing employer, and taught me a lot about you know that hospitality doesn't have to be so hard on people, and that life balance, and knowing your staff, and talking to your staff, and seeing them as humans. Was very important to her, and um, I, you know, just an amazing employer. Yeah.
1: Is there any dishes you remember from your time at those restaurants that were either challenged you or changed uh, your views on cuisine?
0: Um, yeah, that's a great question. Um, I think the way um, we cooked at Billy Quong was really transformational. So I learned a lot about. Um, red braising and, you know, using a a master stock. Um, And we would often do things, um, secondary cuts there, so things like pork trotters, using jowl and using the ribs. Um, Before it was kind of barbecue cool because this is the early 2000s as well. (laughs) (laughs) And then, you know, cooking them through a really nice chilli caramel and it's still one of my favourite ways to treat pork because you get that real salty, sweet Um, flavours that I think pork can take, particularly if it's got a really good layer of fat still with it, Um, and just that idea of creating balance through a dish. So the pork trotters we used to do, they were fantastic, Um, and then, look, it's more of an eating culture as well in Sydney, that going out and eating the, you know, the steamed buns and the steamed dumplings was so where I actually got interested in that for my own cooking as well. So what was available to me whilst I was working at those places as well was pretty amazing.
1: You mentioned the trotters dish and, and what you can actually do with those sort of secondary cuts. Can you take us through that dish from that period that you, that you cooked in Billy Gwang?
0: Um, so we used to blanch them um, in boiling water, um, obviously to get rid of any impurities. But then it was a really long, uh, the master stock was brought up, so um, I'm sure people know, but master stock is used over and over and over again. And you always, every time you boil it, you, the idea is you breathe new life into it. So you re-season it with soys and vinegars and ginger, garlic, candied rock sugar, licorice, all those sort of great robust flavours. Um, And then the blanched um, pig's trotters or it could be belly or it could be anything go in and they really, really slowly simmered. And that can be sort of four to six hours. Um, And you can take out, I have now since then taken out all those bones, which is (laughs) such an easy process, um, and then flash fried them um, in hot oil. And then made like a chili caramel, mm. um, almost like a, a French gastric, but if you think that along the terms of Asian flavours, so black vinegar, chili, sugar, um, and a bit of Chinese wine, just to give it a bit of um, viscosity through it as well, and then put the pork through that afterwards and uh, carve it up, and it's amazing because you get the softness of the meat, but it's you know it's all crispy on the outside, so it's that full experience. <laughs>
1: For many chefs, there comes a time when the collaboration of their experiences results in them becoming a head chef and creating their own cuisine. Tell us about that period of time for you when you found yourself as a cook.
0: Well, I think mine was probably a little bit different to most people because I had been, you know, I'd been a sous chef for a really, really long time um, and always really enjoyed it. Um, I like being organised and supporting people. Um, and I moved back to Adelaide and I actually had seven years out of cooking. I've got three children, um, so I was at home uh, raising three children. Wow. Um, I still did some food writing for the advertiser here in Adelaide and, you know, did a little bit of cooking here or there but certainly not nowhere near full-time or consistent. Um, so I was out of the industry and um, kept seeing things open. I still just... You know, I think anyone who's obsessed with food knows it never goes away. Um, and the dinners at home were starting to get a bit ridiculous. <laughs> um, so I, this opportunity came up to take over Salopian. Um, and so I went from stay-at-home full-time mum to running my own restaurant. Wow. Which <laughs> there's no book written on it. Trust me, I've tried to find it. <laughs> I did at the time. Um, so mine was... Um, That transition to being a head chef, it wasn't smooth. It was full of insecurity. Um, It was full of self-doubt and just really hard work whilst, you know, my youngest at that time was two and a half, which, again, I now reflect it's probably not the smartest thing I've ever done in my life, but it was just driven by this sheer will to work out if I could do it. And then Salopian from that stage, you know, I don't think I was a very good head chef to start with. Um, and I'm still trying to be a good one, um, very much. But my own sense of food identity has developed into something that, you know, I feel really comfortable with.
1: That period of time, seven years, when you're away from the industry, what did did it feel like and and what what sucked you back into it?
0: Um, it, Look, it was beautiful because I actually got to spend a lot of time with, you know, my new babies and didn't have to sort of worry about doing the work-life balance at that stage but I felt really disconnected and um, you know all my friends are hospitality as well mostly so you've kind of felt like you'd left your people for a while and so all those things that are the peripheral to um, being in hospitality you know going out after work and going for drinks and going with your workmates to restaurants and talking about the latest new Restaurant or what you cooked, like that sense of camaraderie was really lost for me, and I think that's why I enjoyed writing so much because I just talked to all of Adelaide about it. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, for me, there was like a part of me actually was a bit gone.
1: Can you take us to that stage where you made that decision to to come back into the industry, and um, what it was like trying to bring together your food and and what you wanted to put on the plate.
0: Um, So coming back, it was, you know, my husband actually, he's like, you know, we can do this. He was so 150% behind me. It was incredible. So I had moments of just such self-doubt that I I couldn't do it anymore because it had been a while and that I couldn't do it. And I was working part-time helping out another chef and that was starting to, you know, I was starting to feel a little bit, sort of uh, more comfortable with the idea. But I just, when it came to writing a menu, like I was talking to Michael about it, my husband, and he just said, just what you're cooking at home is, is crazy good. Just do it. And I was always really unsure because I have such an eclectic cooking interest. Like it's like a, you can almost see where I've travelled around the world and what I've loved <laughs> and it's, it's all there. And I just, I decided just to own it and call it eclectic food and not pretend to be anything other than who I am and how I like to cook and not try and fit in. Um, And, you know, when we first opened, it was um, really eclectic. And I think now it has stepped back just a little bit in that, you know, you can have several dishes on the menu and in some way they'll talk to each other. Even if they're different cuisines, they'll still have a relationship. You can eat them together and it's not... um, you know, volatile on the palate or it's not, you know, it's not offensive to the palate. Um, yeah.
1: Eight years is a long time for a restaurant and they can really evolve quite a lot during that time. Can you paint a picture of what the offering and food was like then compared to where you are now?
0: Right. So at, at the very start, um, I've always had the pork buns, the steamed. It's like a char bao on, or my version. <laughs> on um, and that's the and an ice cream sandwich and it's really interesting because I look at those two dishes they've been with me the whole eight years Um, and the buns have you know they were okay to start with and now I think you know they're a good fluffy bun and you know the pork I was using at the start is really different to the pork I'm using now like I have you know sought out small farmers and just really narrowed down that recipe to a really good balance. Um, the same with the ice cream sandwich. It used to have two layers. Now it's got like six and 12 different elements in the sandwich. Like it's, it's crazy, but it's, it's still me. Um, you know, and at the start we had really, you know, we had a Reuben sandwich, we had um, burgers and that sort of stuff because I didn't know what the market wanted either. And now it's more a feeling of a really relaxed restaurant. Um, And the food I think is, yeah, I think it's more refined in my own way. It's certainly not fancy food and I'm definitely not trying to reinvent food. Um, I just have a really healthy respect for ingredients and suppliers and just try and put a few simple things on a plate. And if something doesn't taste good, then it's probably not good enough to be there anyway. And so I take that off as well. It's very simple, fresh food.
1: You mentioned how producing your own food at home and using it in the restaurant has given you a greater connection to farmers and understanding. Do you, do you work with local producers like pig farmers to um, get the products that you want?
0: Yeah, um, we do. So we work with several actually um, over the um, over the years, and it, it depending on um, who's got what, because you know, like anything, pigs are they're not always available. Um, if you're using a small farmer, um, so one chap we're using at the moment, um, he feeds them, he's a dairy farmer as well, he's a regenerative integrated farmer as well, which is something um, I really seek out. Um, that any farm that produces multiple proteins or multiple products um, off one piece of land, I think is really interesting. So he, this gentleman in the Barossa, is um, feeding the pigs, the milk from his cows, they get the whey, they get, yeah. So this, this pork is extraordinary. It's quite buttery. It's um, really, really special pork. Um, And so, and that, of course, that's the journey of the bun there again, that, you know, it now gets that. um, And we've, yeah, we've used several small suppliers and in rotation because, as I said, they don't always have what you need, which, again, we should still support that sort of farming, I think.
1: You mentioned uh, the trotters and jowl from your time and Billy Kwong, but are there cuts that you like to use these days? And can you tell us the best way for you, that you think it is to cook them?
0: Um, absolutely. So we will often buy the whole pig. Um, and then, obviously, our braising cuts can go to the buns, so our four-quarter. I love um, the scotch or the neck. Um, it can be called as well. Um, So over this summer, just gone, we did our our own version of a char siu, pork, you know, marinating it, slow roasting it, drowning it in sugar syrup, which I think is the best idea to ever do with pork. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure someone just dropped it in there one day and then worked out it was really good, but it's fantastic. (laughs) Um, And then, you know, reheating it over our um, wood-fired grill and serving it with really fresh crispy things from the garden so the salad that went with it wasn't the same every day but it was always something crunchy pickled raw um, that you could wrap this char siu up with you know great chili sauce and ferments and fermented pickles there as well so I love the neck I think it's actually a really special underrated um, cut of pork of course I love pork and the whole you know the midline. it is fantastic but to me the the outer cuts and that's the cuts with the marbling through it. You know, pork is pork is about fat for me and I just think the fat is just gorgeous. We make um, shallot pancakes with the fat. We'll often render it off and mm. put it through the shallot pancake dough and that's pretty extraordinary. Very hard to explain to a vegetarian it is actually made with pork fat but <laughs> they're just one of, you know, life's, yeah, they're, they're very good.
1: <laughs> you mentioned that you like to get whole uh, pigs in. What's the challenges with using a whole pig and making sure you use the entire beast?
0: Um, look, because we have such a flexible menu, we actually don't have too much of a challenge. So what I enjoy about it is the creativity that comes with it. Um, so we'll often smoke bones. Um, we have a great local butcher who will do the, um, the sawing up for me, basically, um, which, you know, makes life a lot easier. I take my hat off to people that do that all we'll, all by themselves, but then we'll, we'll bone out anything that needs to. Um, and we will always make beautiful broths with the smoked bones. Um, we can use the skin to make, you know, crispy pork skin snacks. Um, and I like that as a culture in the kitchen we have this um, this attitude of, you know, we'll make a snack from it or we'll make even staff meal from it. There's been some very good ramens kicking around as well. <laughs>
1: You mentioned that you described your food as eclectic and there's some real uh, influences from Asia running through the menu but how do you how do you create dishes and how do you see your own cuisine?
0: I um, quite randomly so I will um, be really trying hard to think of a new menu and I can't think of anything that I haven't done before Um, and I do like although there are on our menu, there are some constants, absolutely. Um, The rest, I really like to do new things all the time. So new food for me, it did come from travelling. Every year I would um, get to go overseas or interstate and you just eat different food. And I often find I'll end up um, not so much at high-end restaurants but at, at, you know, street level or in people's homes. And to me, like, to eat the food is when I get a better understanding of reading a book Um, having said that with a global pandemic hanging around um, I've really uh, I read a lot and I cook at home a lot still I still enjoy cooking very much and I feel very lucky I'm 46 I feel super lucky that I you know love what I do Um, So to me it's – and it's always when you're relaxed and in the quiet moments when you're walking the dog, you go, oh, that's it, that's what I'll do. Um, And then you just play with it and work. I also have an amazing team, an amazing sous chef. Um, So we, you know, we work through it as a team as well and um, we always come up with something.
1: You briefly mentioned the global pandemic, which is a topic that's been hard to avoid in the last year. Yeah. What, what sort of impact did that have on, on you personally and what you do as a chef?
0: Um, huge. So obviously because I'm an owner as well, there was that whole paying the bills thing. Um, and <laughs> yeah. look, when it happened, I was I was no different to anyone else. I now realise, I think sometimes when you're in those moments, you think this is so isolated. And of course, you know, um, Deep in the ways did a great job of, telling people you weren't alone and I still to this day I was painting my son's bedroom listening to um, Dan Hunter and I went Ah, oh, it's not just me like that's it dawned on me um, <laughs> which is quite silly when I say it out loud but it just <laughs> felt so isolating that suddenly I couldn't have the customers I couldn't know, um, yeah, that that was all just done so we turned to takeaways straight away and had amazing community support like it was incredible Um, and we were able, we had three at that stage, um, overseas workers were able to keep them all employed to a a standard where they could pay their rent, um, which was really important to us as a business. Um, And, you know, we we made our way through it. Obviously, once JobKeeper came and all those things, you know, it gave you a a bit of breathing space to try and just keep everything working. The garden got a rest, which was amazing. We decided to rest the beds, which we did, which was, you know, turned out to be really good and plant cover crops. Um, But for me, I I worked out how much I missed my connection with my customers because the customers could still come in and pick up their takeaway, but they were much further away and you didn't get that slow chance that you do. When they come in and they you know sit down have a drink and then they relax a bit you can go and say hello to someone or see what's happening in their family and all of that connection went and um we realized how much we missed it and how much although we cook food we we actually create experiences in restaurants and how integral it is to a community to you know have somewhere that they come and they eat and celebrate and um commiserate whatever it is but that that's what restaurants do we do a lot more than serve food and it was you know as sad as it was and hard for so many people um it was a good realization from that point of view
1: you mentioned how your food is a real representation of of you and how you're feeling at that time and but give us an experience of what it's like to eat at the salopian in as as a diner
0: um okay so you'll come in the door and be welcomed and Recognised and said hello to, which I just—it's such basic hospitality. It's uh, hello, like welcome, um, and sat down and um, given bread and water. So to me, that the most is the most basic hospitality. That bread is free, or you know, it's not charged on the menu, and of course, so is water. And then we take you from there. Um, and we have, we do a, a, a feed me menu, which is a sharing menu, um, which is mostly off menu as well. So that's where all our experiments from buying the whole animal or buying something slightly different that week, they all go onto there. Um, but also if you come in and you know, you've, you've got an hour for lunch, um, then we talk you through something simpler or something lighter. Um, I'm a big fan of the long lunch. Like, I think there's nothing wrong with a four-hour lunch and it should be celebrated. So we really, really give people space to do that. So you order at the table. We have a wine cellar downstairs um, that Alex, um, my business partner, looks after and it's, you go down into the old cellar that's in the building. So Salopium was built in 1851, so it's an old cottage. And you go downstairs and you choose your own red wine, which is an adventure in itself. Um, and, of course, we'll try and talk you into having a gin. Um, we've, got over two, we've got over 200, which is <laughs> wow. a bit of a stock-take nightmare, but um, <laughs> it makes for a great martini. So, um, yeah, and then we just try and read what you want and ask you what you want and, and make sure we deliver.
1: You mentioned that you spent seven years out of the industry and you've come back into into it and made a real impact with your restaurant. what do you, What do you love about uh, the life that you have in food?
0: Oh, I just—it just never changes, and I just have so much energy for it. I work with a great team of people that range from, you know, our youngest employees, fourteen. It's actually my son. There you go. He's <laughs> fourteen, and you know, we've got uh, chefs through to and staff through to fifty-eight. So we've got a real, we've got a great group of staff here who I really enjoy and get a lot of energy from and learn a lot from. And then in the greater Adelaide, has a thriving beautiful food scene that is just just it just keeps changing and I love being a part of that Um, and I just find cooking no two days are the same like it's what arrives that day is different to the day before and I just have such energy for trying to make that the best I can and and you know do the best by the ingredients it's just it um, suits my energy levels and lack of um attention sometimes perfectly <laughs> like it just suits my my need for for change and for um innovation
1: given eight years of the restaurant and the, the life-changing events of the last year how do you see the next year or two playing out for you do you have anything on the horizon
0: um personally um i Just want to make sure the business and the staff are okay. I think particularly uh, you know with recent lockdowns interstate I really feel for those restaurants and know that at the moment that can happen at any time. Um, I have always wanted another venue um, and to do something a little different um, and that look that may well happen. But at the moment I'm just focused on making sure that what we have is okay and it is, you know, we're in a great place in South Australia. Um, And I've been asked and really contemplating writing a book but I just want to write something that is a a really good reflection of um, what I've done in McLaren Vale and I haven't quite worked out how to do that but I would like to do it. And I would love my uh, neighbour here at the Slope Inn and at the restaurant to let me have a bit of his land to have a garden. (laughs) (laughs) So you never know.
1: (laughs) Well, I'm sure there's lots of um, avid readers of your columns over the years that would be very keen to see a book published soon. So we look forward to seeing that. Uh, Karina. we've absolutely loved having you on The Crackling. Um, And please keep in touch and uh, we'll catch up again soon.
0: Okay,
1: thanks. This is The Crackling, a Deep in the Weeds production in partnership with Porkstar. I'm Anthony Huckstep. Stay tuned as we catch up with some of Australia's best chefs and pork producers to discover what makes Australian pork so special.